Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In today's episode, we explore identity's metaphysics on reincarnation, a sexy subject that goes back at least 4,000 years. Can you reincarnate as a cockroach if you do bad things as a human? Why do we think being a cockroach is so bad anyway? Do cockroaches fear being reincarnated as humans? Perhaps with good reason. Some of these questions we explore in this episode. Some of the other questions are just me having fun. We do also address who or what is reincarnating in Eastern Dharma and the flawed metaphysics that identity can replace with a more coherent picture, what heaven and hell really are, cockroach or not, what consciousness has to do with the brain, and of course, much, much more. Lastly, a reminder, this episode is going to drop on October 21st, and we have an open door day coming up on October 23rd, that's 2022, where you can get direct support and intuitive reads from Stace. Uh, Eric Grace, who I've mentioned before, is organizing this. You can find him on the Holy, that's a WH Holy Human Club on the Clubhouse app, or you can email me at joseph, J-O-S-E-F, at clearandopen.com if you have no idea what Clubhouse is, which is where I was about six months ago. Finally, I remind you, as always, to please listen to this podcast from the beginning and in order. And if you've been doing that for 29 episodes heretofore, well then good on you, and thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome to episode 30 of this humble little podcast. (laughs) I was speaking to someone, Stace, just recently who I recommend listen to it, and uh, she said she was having to stop and look up words that we were using. I felt <laughs> a little uh, self-conscious about that. I, I, I have been better uh, in recent uh, podcasts and, you know, after the first 10 or so interrupting and insisting we define words. So what I want to say to the listeners, I do my best, but if we stop and define every 50 cent word that we use, it would get in the way of things possibly. Um, what, was she talking about words that I had to make up to describe the paradigm or oh, not? I, not necessarily. I think the words that you make up are, are usually kind of self-explanatory. But, you know, like okay. I remember last time we were talking about uh, ontology and ontogeny and teleology. You know, and this stuff is like mm-hmm. uh, at least university level philosophy that those terms come it, from. It, it, yeah, it is. It's that, that's not so esoteric. So, but not, not certainly not the uh, level of jargon on Facebook. Um, <laughs> no. So yeah. so, yeah, I just, I, I just felt the a desire to speak to that because, um, yeah, mm-hmm. there, there's a way in which the paradigm does kind of say you've got to come some distance from where you are to get it. Mm-hmm. And I think people can perceive that as elitist and, uh, you know, they can perceive it all sorts of ways. But um, there, there's, you know, I, I want it to be accessible as possible, but there's certain things that I don't know. Well, was a, Thoreau, was a Thoreau or... or um... I, I forget. I get my um, 
some of those guys mixed up in my head. You, but you mix up your New England transcendentalists. That's where I'm there from. There you go. Yes, that's right. With Thoreau. And um, was it he who said uh, a man's reach should exceed his grasp? It was either uh, Thoreau or Emerson. I think that was Emerson. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's exactly what that is. It's And from where I sit, uh, there's nothing elitist about anything here. And um, if something feeds you right where you're at, it's not likely that you're going to be stretched enough to be curious about what growth might mean. Yeah. So that that's sort of an underlying acceptance uh, um, in in being an educator um, and we can always ask. So yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. We take questions. Yes. Yeah, it just a funny sidebar there. I'm so I grew up in Concord, Massachusetts, where Thoreau's Pond, Walden Pond was about a mile from where I grew up. And, you know, I went to Alcott Elementary School. And when I told in, in college, where I, when I told my English professor, uh, when we were talking a little bit about uh, Thoreau, uh, that there's a Thoreau Country Club in Concord, Massachusetts, <laughs> she almost fell over. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh, so, yeah, it's one of the oh. most. It's not the most elite country club in that area, but it's one of them, and they named it after oh. Thoreau, right? Oh, Henry <laughs> David would turn in his grave. Oh, yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, that would qualify as elitist, I guess. That's, yeah, and there's a, there's a neighborhood that's one of the wealthier parts of of a very wealthy town called Thoreau Hills, which is you know, well yeah. then. Million dollar oh. houses thirty years ago were there. Yeah, it's fascinating. Okay. All right. So, uh, well, anyway, um, we're here to talk about not any of those things today. Uh, we're going to be talking about consciousness and reincarnation, consciousness and the relationship it has to reincarnation, which I'm excited to talk about. So, where should we begin? Well, um, what's interesting about the um, ancient version of reincarnation that's out there is most often, if not as, mar as far as I understand, almost 100% um, linked to an impersonal, dynamical, non-entity that is not self-aware that um, uh, um, is the context for all the system characteristics like the algorithm of karma and uh, and the number of um, incarnations we need to learn that we're not. Um, so what, that's what, uh, an interesting starting off place because yeah. um, uh, trained as a scientist, educated as a scientist as I was, um, it's difficult uh, to um, consider for me how an impersonal, uh, non-deity, non-self-aware deity would automatically have a system that um, was measurable in karmic episodic um, uh, uh, um, travels, uh, that there wouldn't be some considered uh, author uh, of such a system, or at least a, a considered author that whose unfoldment of the system um, relied on its, its self-awareness. Because the very algorithm of incarnation in the old days, uh, ancient Hinduism and, and some uh, um, uh, uh, sects of Buddhism, um, maintained that uh, the personal self, of course, is an illusion, not a real thing. So a, a certainly a deity can't have a self-aware uh, um, uh, aspect because that would 
um, nix the whole paradigm right there. Uh-huh, uh, right. I never got that match there. Yeah, the, the non-self matches with the non-deity deity. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Atman is Brahman uh, yeah, right. uh, that way, like we said last time. So um, uh, for me, that's just um, a reasonable product of a young uh, pre-psychological um, age that uh, got some of the broad strokes accurate but uh, certainly not some of the more subtly metaphysical distinction domain of what such a deity might um, possess. And Hinduism goes back to like 7,000 BC or something like that. It's old. Yeah, between between 5 and 7,000. There's it's real it's if I remember my um, religious um, uh, 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 education that way uh, world religions um it's it, its roots are are pretty um, shady, uh, not not dark, not dark and and, and criminal, but well, yeah, um, it's prehistoric. Yes, they can't really um, uh, ascertain where it came from, mm -hmm. uh, so it just evolved as lore for you know thousands uh, about a thousand years or two thousand years until they started to codify it and organize something around it. So yeah, um, so this this whole topic of uh, of reincarnation, I'll come back to the old style, um, the what 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 um, identity calls the um, the dark ages. The dark ages are prior to the Renaissance, and the Renaissance until 2012 is the dim age, and uh, the uh, the age we are now in from the Renaissance till 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 uh, uh, 2012. Uh, that's the dim age, and now after 2012. Um, uh, we're in the uh, the uh, luminous age, uh, and, and as a precursor to the upcoming um, radiant age. So um, when's that start? Identity, oh well, whenever identity gets seated. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's how a bold that? claim. Oh, how about that for egotistic elitism? <laughs> huh? uh, really, that that's really um, the way it unfolds, and uh, crazy or not, uh, that's the loosely held truth um, of identity. That uh, the luminous age is when we begin to brighten above, um, uh, beyond the dark and the dim, the dark, dark and dim ages, um, characterized by um, uh, by our evolution of consciousness here, and. Um, but after the identity begins to have some um, intercourse uh, uh, of a certain level in the world, then the radiant age will ensue when all of our pictures of things uh, have been seated enough to be tested and embodied. Um, that would be the radiant age. And that's the thing about identity. You know, um, any new paradigm, you could say a good phrase for, for any new paradigm that shifts our entire focus whatever domain it might be in, enlarges the landscape of our reality. That's what a new paradigm does. It enlarges the landscape of humanly perceivable reality. Of course, the topic of reality is another whole um, subject we've touched on in other podcasts. But um, from a human perception point of view, um, a new paradigm really does challenge, really puts our the reach uh, beyond, way beyond our grasp, uh, uh, but and begs to be um, to uh, have curiosity about and uh, self-verification about. 
again, no beliefs in anything we're going to say here about reincarnation and yes, consciousness. Yes, especially, yeah, because yeah, there's the question, you know, in the same group of questions, uh, do you believe in God? Do you believe in reincarnation? And of course, we would say, mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of not the best question to be asking. Right. Um, when, um, when people begin to self-verifiedly remember mm -hmm. past lives, um, which of course are poo-pooed by... Um, uh, a whole slew of um, modern-day thinkers and philosophers as wish projection and uh, and uh, drama uh, projection and self-image projection. Uh, but those of us that remember very mundane lives in uh, in in our reincarnative arc certainly aren't looking uh, for self-image and uh, behind most of the spiritual figures. <laughs> Uh, of our times that are are deified as um, holy or um, uh, hugely uh, um, uh, uh, bringing our, our world to another whole picture of things like the Buddha or Yeshua or Muhammad or uh, some of these folks, that there are very human downsides to all of those uh, personalities, lives. Um, and oftentimes when someone claims, if someone claims to be Yeshua reincarnated, if they knew what Yeshua did uh, uh, in, in the real story of Yeshua, which we've yet to talk about, maybe next time we'll talk about yeah, that, yep. um, they would not want to be Yeshua. They would be very embarrassed to be Yeshua. And he brought a whole new revolution of, of, of consciousness about uh, God uh, to the planet. So these things coexist, uh, mortality, uh, human mortality, human foibles, all these things coexist with the great spiritual teachers. There shouldn't be uh, on, on uh, any sort of pedestal. Were, we, were you going to pick apart the uh, Hindu picture of reincarnation? Were we going to go further down that route? Because if Yes. Okay, okay yes. good. I, just, that, because, I, I want to give a, con yeah, okay. a contrast. Um, um, if, but so if you can, unless you don't want to forget them and you want to make sure they're handled now. Well, uh, I just saw the, you know, just in the first minute or two you were talking about it, it was like a loose thread on a sweater I wanted to pull on because, you know, <laughs> it, if you want to do this later, of course, but my job is to no. interrupt and be hungry. Pull, pull now. Pull yeah, now. it was like, it just seems so obvious. It's like, okay, so the self is illusion in Hinduism, the oldest of the Eastern thought and where reincarnation came from, and then certainly in Buddhism, which came after, who or what is reincarnating? Yes. And mm -hmm. that's sort of the obvious question that has not been questioned so much. And I imagine, I don't know Hinduism's answer, but it can't include any real self in it. Otherwise, it contradicts its own paradigm. Correct. Um, there's a couple of different, um, it's a good question. There's a couple of different uh, uh, um, explanations for that. One is that um, uh, the, there is a fractured combination of souls that reincarnate. In other words, um, souls, quote unquote, that um, uh, uh, make similar decisions that both dead end and excel uh, pieces of those aggregate into a larger soul. And um, so the next lifetime would include perhaps the aggregate of a dozen or so souls whose choice patterns, um, both positive karma and negative karma aggregate, and those become the next incarnation pieces 
coming together, aggregating to be, to form the next personality. But then we would uh, say, but so those pieces have essential reality, but the personality as human didn't? How, how does that yes. work? Well, um, in their picture of things, they don't go into meta metaphysical nuance. Uh -huh. um, so there is no answer to that from their point of view that I know of. And I, I've looked into it pretty deeply, but I could have missed something for sure. But uh, somehow they have enough reality, reality to be persistent, um, but not enough reality to be called a, a real thing. So again, these kinds of nuances in the ancient times, uh, it, was, it was brilliant enough to be able to, for the idea of reincarnation to bleed through to this dimension, yeah. but uh, certainly the ones but on the ground. It, interestingly, it, it, it contradicts intuitively the law of conservation of mass and energy. Uh, right, which because, we will, which we will get to today. Oh, cool! Yeah, because <laughs> obviously I don't know when that was. Newton, maybe or so. No, that was that that was Antoine Lavoisier, uh, ah. seventeen something. Okay, but uh, still not till the Renaissance. So not till eight thousand years prior to the law of conservation of mass, they yes. were able to imagine. Okay, well, you can be somehow completely illusory, but something. Yeah, it just doesn't. Something remains that is essential, but there's nothing essential about you that doesn't that just doesn't add up. Yeah, and the uh, the uh, so that's one version of it, and the other one version, of course, is the whole soul. Um, in it, if its resistance to the truth of impersonality uh, uh, outweighs its acceptance of impersonality. Um, which is 90, 90% uh, of the of human beings conscious or 99%, um, that's going to, that, that will unholedly um, reincarnate into the next incarnation by some mysterious system that somehow exists inside of an impersonal um, non-deity deity, um, and, uh, and, and recurs until little by little, the resistance gets whittled down to where there is less resistance to impersonality than more. And eventually that comes to zero, which can take thousands of lifetimes. Oh, right. And that gets you off the wheel of samsara, right? Then you're done reincarnating. Exactly right. Yes, so exactly in, right. In Hinduism and Buddhism's picture, exoteric Buddhism picture, it's that the only reason, the only thing maybe that's reincarnating is the over-attachment to selfhood. That's... Yeah the yes. false cathexis of individual individuality that yes. is getting recycled again and again so exactly. that it can be thinned out and erased and then the drop returns to the ocean and you don't have to come here anymore. Bingo. Uh -huh. um, now that marginally fulfills Lavoisier's um, <laughs> conservation of energy. Um, uh, uh, but still in the end, um, where does the drop goes to the ocean? What's the ocean? Uh, what, what's the ocean? Um, uh, non non dual non duality in some extreme or softer oneness kind of form, I guess. But um, the there's there's conservation of energy in both. If you stretch it, that um, the 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 segments rejoin the whole. So the all the conservation of energy um, is depth into its source originally. But interestingly enough, um, uh, uh, they they don't really articulate other than the resistance to impersonal non-duality of the selfhood, of selfhood, um, what, what the mechanism is of um, how it reincarnates. It's, there's no choice involved because that would, that would involve uh, a conscious yeah. self, yeah. right? There couldn't be choice so, involved, no. No, and there's also technically 
Um, it would be hard to imagine the impersonal system having a sorting mechanism that said, okay, here's 26% um, uh, 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 non-resistant to uh, impersonality. So they get an, a life that will support that. And there's all sorts of content and dimension and color to that kind of system. How is that an author? Be, how is that authored by a, um, uh, an impersonal system? So it's really oh, how can an impersonal system be influencing personal things? Correct. Uh -huh. uh, uh, um, what's the, what's the algorithm behind the algorithm of uh, of reincarnation in that sense? So like the, in, the design, who's reincarnating, who's making decisions, right. who's making the calls about how you're reincarnated? Yeah, the sorting mechanisms. Yeah, it it does beg a lot of questions. <laughs> it it really uh, what's the what's the what's the next superlative beyond begging? Um, it, uh, Desperating, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, well, but it was Demanding. beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful for the age, but there was no critical thinking then. You see, so it was just taken. Uh, it was somehow the truth of reincarnation, which identity teaches, seeped down into pre-critical thinking, pre-cognitive yeah. kinds of uh, uh, mindsets. And it, it um, makes me wonder the the same way many people in the uh, in the West grew up challenging as kids the uh, Sunday school stuff they got. It makes me wonder what would a group of kids be saying if they were being taught Hinduism or Buddhism? You know, what, what questions would they be asking? Because when it gets grafted into the West, people don't typically ask those very innocent questions like, well, who or what's being reincarnated and who decides how that works? And do can I really become a different species? And why do I only, why do people only remember famous past lives and, you know, that kind yes. of stuff? Yeah, and what's astounding to me is, uh, or interesting, a better word to say, uh, oh, no, astounding first was, is that these questions that you just articulated so well are not, don't even come up in deep, deeply committed seekers. They mm. just, um, they follow the belief line of uh, whatever Eastern esoteric path they're on. Mm -hmm. And uh, if they question it um, beyond the point of um, the patience <laughs> of the master, they're either um, uh, shamed or um, deflected. Uh, uh, one, one of uh, my teacher's uh, favorite um, uh, deflections, well, what's, what's the price of, uh, uh, of, um, of uh, what was it, uh, lamb? What was, what's the price of lamb in, in Japan today? He would say when somebody asked a question that was obviously a mind-shaped question, wanting a not-mind answer. Uh, and well, what's what's the what's the price of lamb in Japan today? Um, never mind, of course. Yeah. So they either deflect uh, or say something like, as we've said before, only an unenlightened mind would ask this question, or you yeah. get ridiculed. I, I named this deflection slash logical fallacy in when I was codifying a, a group of about 70 excuses. I call it hiding in context. Oh, I, oh, I think we remember something about that. Yeah. Uh, you it, mentioned that in passing. So. Yeah. It's a, um, it went when, because it's like, you know, many teachers, spiritual teachers in general, but especially in the East, they'll talk lots of metaphysics up to a point and then you ask a question that demands a more rigorous metaphysical answer and that suddenly well you're stuck in your mind because yeah. you know this is all to help you wake up yes. and your the hunger of your mind for an answer that's that's actually an impediment to your awakening well, what yes. about all the metaphysics you were talking about before? That wasn't an yes. impediment to my awakening. Right. <laughs> right. They, 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 they really cherry pick. 
uh, their support of metaphysics uh, or, or intellectualized metaphysics, you know, when it suits them, they're real. And if it doesn't suit them, it's not real. And that's really sad to me. Um, it's heartbreaking in some cases, uh, because really the teachers and the teaching are failing these sincere, honest, earnest seekers uh, by not honoring every question um, relative to where it's coming from, even if where it's coming from um, doesn't uh, occlude uh, very well with the teaching. Um, there's ways to patiently and lovingly support that. The Buddha is a perfect example that someone might ask him, uh, well, is, is there life after death? And he, of course, would just smile and say, well, I guess we'll all find out when we die, right? Mm. I mean, uh, instead, whereas a modern-day Zen master might have a real field day with, uh, with that, such a projection and shame the questioner. Uh -huh. So uh, ashrams in the past and um, uh, have been rampant with this kind of mis mis misbehavior and mischief by um, uh, uninsold um, uh, teachers who use the algorithm of transcendence of the personal to enlighten instead of healing the terror of not being as defined mm. by identity. And we see that in the West as well, where when the model, the paradigm gets challenged, the represent representative of the paradigm shames the person for seeing a incoherence in the paradigm rather yes. than looking at the incoherence in the paradigm. And this, what's the, to me the most tragic part yes. about that is this is yes. how people blame themselves yes. for not being able to be willful enough to embody the broken paradigm yes and uh that just spins the wheel another turn yeah that's that's why um i i've had my ep ep episodic uh and uh outrage at uh paradigms and teachers that do this that that make the problem in the seeker uh when it's an honest question and when it can't be answered by the paradigm of course that blame it's blame shifted yeah. So um, this is this is terrible, and um, and uh, it's the best we could do until now uh, because we've been with the, what's being taught uh, for as the algorithm of enlightenment has re really been a very narrow and incomplete uh, algorithm, and that's this is the same principle here um, uh, when they challenge uh, a paradigms, but I would use the term incompletenesses. Mm -hmm. um, uh, which is the actually the more heartful um, way of looking at it. than incoherence, yeah. Yeah, but is, both are true, but, but the incompletenesses, and when there's no curiosity about the possible incompletenesses, a la, well, it's 4,000, 3,000 years old, how could, that, how could it be wrong? It's lasted this <laughs> long. So, A billion adherents, adherents can't be wrong, like they say about the cows in Vermont. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just because something's old doesn't mean it's it's actually accords with reality. Yeah, that's uh, what they call appeal to authority and the bandwagon fallacy, both. Yes. And in the West, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, they do exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, believers are taught uh, that it has persisted uh, means there's no errors in it. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's... Um, it's just make, makes me crazy on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, yeah. really sad on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday, and both on Sundays. Um, What's so, so remarkable to me, there should be a name for this phenomenon, like that at any point in history, human beings think we have it all figured out until the next right. thing we realize, right. oh, there turns out the earth is a sphere. It's not flat. Well, <laughs> now surely we know everything. <laughs> 
oh, it turns out those stars are not pinholes of light coming from God. Uh, you know, it's actually really far away. Now, right. certainly, we know everything. And yeah, and and, we're, and Joseph and I, you know, oftentimes uh, are, uh, find the comedic kind of um, uh, holes in these in these kinds of meta insights. Uh, but um, and and we can't apologize for them because really, at the base, I know Joseph really well, and of course, um, he knows me pretty well now. Um, at the core of it is not uh, making fun of people. It's it's a tragedy that um, sometimes you just have to laugh about so you don't weep uh, every day, all day long about about the earth. Yeah, um, I'm still so. self-conscious about, uh, I, I tend to laugh more, uh, laugh more and rage more than I do cry more. So mm -hmm. I, I admit that that's not done for me. Um, but uh, I also like to be entertaining, and it, it sure. is, it is, and you know, it's it's the the group is just a reflection of the individual. I mean, like every individual on this planet, including myself, gets stuck in. Okay, surely now I have X, Y, and Z figured out <laughs> until tomorrow, when you find out you don't. And so, of course, we create systems as a group that do the same thing. Sure, and, and you know the tragedy and the beauty of um, of humanity is that. As you say, they get stuck in dead ends. And yeah. another way of saying it, until um, a new paradigm refutes it for those who are curious and <laughs> having it refuted. Um, yeah. And that's the, that's the other um, uh, um, tragedy is how few a percentage of any ensconced paradigm actually question and persist in curiosity about the premises and the practices uh, and the outcomes of uh, any paradigm. And while we're at it, oh, go ahead. I have a question for you. Um, it's just something I've been—I was wrestling with personally over the last few days, and um, just reflecting on. It seemed to me that the me ten years ago was a lot more open to change and willing to be wrong about things, and I've mm -hmm. just struggling with something in the last few days, and then and sort of that the self met I had was like. I feel like this used to be easier and mm -hmm. I'm 48 now and I feel like there's some part of me that's like oh for god's sakes like I'm tired of having mm -hmm. to go through this uh mm -hmm. rinse wash wash rinse repeat cycle where mm -hmm. I have to completely let go of the things that I knew were true mm -hmm. and be clueless again and so uh you've got uh, some decades on on me so I wanted to ask how do you relate to that because it seems to me the older we get, the harder it is for us to stay uh, pliable and drop our old ways of of being. How do you relate to that? Well, it's it's a wonderful question. Thanks for asking. I feel honored that you would ask me, um, truly. Hmm. Um, there's two dimensions to it. One is literally um, our curiosity mechanism crystallizes a little bit. Um, that's for sure. Energetically, calcifies, it crystallizes. Yeah, yeah it calcifies. Is not as limber and lithe and stretchy as it used to be. That's a truth um, because consciousness itself, um, as we'll get to in a moment, is um, mediated by the brain. And the brain is an organ like any other that has that suffers wear and tear over a long lifetime. I'll be 71 in a couple of weeks, and I can attest to that dimension of it. But then there's another dimension, and this is the one a little more um, uh, pursuant, Joseph, to your question for me personally. And that is that um, it got clear to me in my 50s, middle to late 50s, 
I had it as a picture energetically before, but I didn't start to actually emotively experience it till my late 50s, that the deeper you go over time, this is, this is not just one dimension as, as time goes on, as time goes on in this paradigm anyway, which Joseph has been uh, um, exploring for a very long time, there's a vertical uh, dimension to it, not just a time space, a time dimension to it, where the deeper we go, the more recalcitrant are our resistances. <laughs> okay. So you're going to say that my recalcitrance is actually proof that I'm getting close to something big. Is that what you're going to say next? <laughs> exactly right. Uh, yeah. The deeper you go, the more resistance you get because the deeper resistances have had time to age like good brie cheese, you know? Uh, uh, they Especially really, the existential uh, stuff, which is, has uh, to do with soul history, right? Yeah. Exactly. Those mm -hmm. things are big buried under tears and tears and tears of uh, dynamically energetic bandwidths of being that are they more and more difficult because they're farther back in time. And that's uh, the, the brutality of the diminishing returns principle with anything from learning a language or an instrument yes. or whatever, you have to work harder and harder to make smaller and smaller gains. Exactly right. And so um, to, to complete your the wonderful question, uh, I got, became aware of that truth, and that's where the secondary thing that you just made a great, good, a wonderful joke about um, is that uh, 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 the proof of the difficulty, the increasing difficulty, is proof you're making progress. <laughs> um, and that is the only thing that kept me going. Um, uh -huh. Wow! And, and uh, uh, believe me, I've had I've had many dozens of times in my life where okay. Uh, how many onions, how many layers of the onion can we peel? How much energy do I still have left? Where where am I reaping um, what I've sown in that way? What, am I ever going to be clean enough to not have to work on something in myself? Yeah. All these are very human, reasonable things. And it just matters. All that matters is what do you want? How how deep are you, how deeply are you a meaning seeker mm -hmm. instead of an insight seeker or a uh, uh, increase my IQs uh, seeker or a money seeker. Um, it's um, it, it, it all depends on how hungry you are. And I have this uh, born with, which was a disability for a long time for me, an insatiability um, uh, uh, dynamic that uh, has never left me. Even how, no matter how discouraged I've gotten. That's even better to me than, uh, you know, soul age is for sure a factor in curiosity, but I love the word insatiability because yeah. that's mm. curiosity on steroids. Yeah, to the degree that you're insatiable, not just for meaning uh, or insight, but for transmutation, not even for transformation. For me, the word transformation means you stay a form, it just becomes a different form. Transmutation is moving from essence to form to expression. And transmutation always moves essence to form or form to expression. When we say we use the word transmutation and identity, not transformation. Uh, so it, transmutation is actually meta to the sequence, as we talked last time or time before, about essence, form, and expression. It's the movement from primary essence to secondary form to tertiary expression. And so uh, in that sense, insatiability is related to transmutation, not just transformation. Mm. So that makes sense metaphysically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And while you, since you mentioned it, I, uh, so I don't forget it either. Um, 
um, if you can't make offspring with it, you can't reincarnate as it. Uh, in other <laughs> words, um, sorry, it's you're just you're not going to become a grasshopper or an inchworm or a, 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 an, an okapi or an eland or a lion or a fly or a gnat. Can you imagine the complexity of human consciousness fitting into the whatever neurological architecture is uh, in, in, the, in, in the body of a gnat um, or an ant or a bee? I'm sorry. Yeah, this... not much of a human consciousness. Even if it's a fragment, if I have a hard time imagining it somehow fits into an ant's brain. It, it can't associate. But a better way to say it, that's right. Another way to say it for me is that um, it can't associate with the brain without, it's not less than a fingernail of the whole consciousness of the body of, of a human uh, consciousness could fit into a gnat's uh, neurological system. There so, are exceptions, sorry. though, for some animals that crossing yes, cross species. Yes, that's another that's another track. Um, yeah. As long as we're on it, we'll stay on it. Uh, just don't let me forget how to, to make this back to the humans again. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so if 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 you, it, this means souls, there are soul species in animals uh, determined by the genus and the species uh, of the animal. Um, there are things like um, uh, uh, lions and. Uh, and uh, lynxes, let's say. That's a new they're one. Both... I haven't heard that one before. Lions and lynxes. Uh-huh. Well, they're both the same. They're, they're, I, know, I always forget my... my um, oh, I uh, remember. Genera, the genera and... Um, a genus uh, and species? Genus and species, yeah. But you've uh, said uh, wolves and monkeys cross-incarnate? Um, that's an exception. Let's stay with the with the full more... Uh, um, uh, uh, the, the, the more normal... The non-exceptions. One. Yes, the non-exception is okay. first, and then I promise. Okay. Oh, you're a hungry guy today. <laughs> so, so reincarnation's um, fun. I like talking about that one. It, it is, and yeah. that's that, that's another thing I wanted to say when you said um, about uh, uh, the reach. We talked about the reach and the grasp is in our comedy about it a lot when we laugh and and make um, jokes about it. The the whole realm of metaphysics is so damn heavy uh, and handled with such solemnity and reverence. Identity yeah. um, says that's all just old, old weightedness that's not necessary. We can actually be light about all this stuff and and yeah. find whatever yeah. humor. You're better than me than finding the humor in it. Uh, well, and I love it. Yeah, and you know, I, I learned metaphysics basically from you and a little bit from a guy named Peter Ralston um, before you. But I studied philosophy in college, and it was onerous as hell having to yeah. read Plato and Aristotle in the original. Yeah. It's not fun at all, and it totally can be. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I want a renaissance of metaphysics in the world, so making it fun is an agenda <laughs> of mine. <laughs> Way to go, you. Okay, <laughs> so back to the track. Um, yeah. uh, p- pigs are a soul species. Uh, horses are a soul species. Um, and gnats are a soul species. They reincarnate in their own species-specific uh, forms and expressions. So there's all that idea about um, being punished by becoming an inchworm because you were um, cruel to your uh, to uh, your children in one lifetime. It's all um, which presupposes uh, that an inchworm is worse than a human, which doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, all you one, get these, right? yes, these comparative uh, things that just don't jive with the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, it, uh, the, as we'll get to here, there's no punishment uh, driving the wheel of karmic rebirth as has been taught for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. A very different algorithm below what seems like punishment is operating. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, 
Um, so the point is, you won't become a pig um, because we can't make a, a, a human, a human, a humano bovine, you know, uh, uh, species. So if you can't mate with it and create, create offspring, you can't reincarnate as it. There's a, there are a couple exceptions though to that um, general rule is that, um, uh, as you said, horses and um, uh, cats. Uh, Cats, uh, if, if you look into the soul field of cats and horses, they are very similar. They're mm -hmm. very resonant, sensitive as hell. Um, horses are a little twitchier, but cats can be too. They can be, you know, cuddle up on you. And if you touch one spot, you know, one quarter of an inch square uh, or with a rate. They uh, spook. Uh, they spook and they'll, they'll claw at you and bite you. And yeah. um, they're just as reactive as horses are. Horses can be so wonderful. Mm -hmm. You can see they're working things out behind their eyes. You mm -hmm. can see this. Uh, all animals, dogs, cats, monkeys, they're working things out. I, I've seen dragonflies working things out. So it's just all a matter of degree, um, not fundamentally different um, uh, uh, species-specific uh, differences that, that deserve to be judged. Mm -hmm. um, I, I predicted after 2012 that animals would be um, becoming more and more, um, uh, we would begin to see how, how self-aware animals are in many ways that we didn't before 2012. And that's, that's coming true across the board. I've been watching that in the, in the news lately, uh, but they were always that way. We're just <laughs> catching up to that fact. Um, so uh, monkeys and dogs occasionally also can I thought it was uh, monkeys and wolves, I thought. And no, no, monkeys and dogs. Um, monkeys and dogs. Uh, there's been some changes to this over the years, the better I've gotten at reading these kinds of uh -huh. things. So Believe it or not, uh, sometimes identity replaces uh, 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 terms occasionally and gets gets cleaner and more acutely uh, focused mm -hmm. <laughs> over time as a paradigm should be. So monkeys and dogs, uh, um, uh, depending on the species of the monkeys. Mm -hmm. and, and here's a real twisty one. Um, chimpanzees, which have the, uh, the closest DNA to human beings. Um, they can actually, and this is where people wonder, what's the mechanism for how uh, early souls are born or early, you know, new souls are born? One of the mechanisms is that depending on the species, um, uh, chimpanzees will use at the moment, five or six of them can aggregate uh, along the lines of the, um, the fact that their whole system is collectivistic. Um, they can aggregate and, be, and form a seed for a new human soul. Um, this is rare, but um, it can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's another interesting way this can work um, there. And because even though humans can't co-create uh, another cross between a monkey and a man, even though they've been trying in secret labs around the world conspiratorially, um, this is you can't create the. They're looking for the the, um, the missing link, you know, by creating a child between uh, monkeys and humans. So they just it just won't catch. Um, not that it couldn't be possible. So so that just we just wanted to expose a, a, a really fundamental error in Hindu's version of reincarnation that um, you will you can only uh, reincarnate as a human being. Um, can you, uh, over lifetimes, aggregate soul families who make similar choices over a lifetime? Sure, but they all—all all the souls retain their individuality, um, and this can be self-verified uh, uh, 
Um, and we'll talk about that next. There, there, I just want to insert a couple of others that you've mentioned in the past because the, the cross incarnation ones are so fun because you can see it in the eyes of the beings like uh, uh, dolphins and eagles was one. Oh, yes. Yes. Dolphins and, and eagles. camels and kangaroos, I think, is my favorite. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one is so, you know, slovenly in some way and the other one is so perky, but they're both, you know, I don't like either one of them. I mean, they're kind of ornery. Yeah, they're 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 unpredictable. I mean, the 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 kangaroo will hug you and then kill you uh, <laughs> uh, in the next moment. In fact, there was a story in the news recently. Yeah, recently, where, yep. Yeah, where this guy raised this kangaroo from a from a, a joey uh, and it killed him. Wow. Uh, so uh, as it was an adult. Yeah. So yeah, kangaroos and camels are are one of the fun ones. Yeah. So the cats these and horses are is great because sometimes a cat will literally gallop. I mean, you can hear yes. it in their gait. Yes. And I've seen many pictures over the years uh, of cats riding horses just in a farm. They will get on the back of the horse and the horse will let it be there and they'll, they'll trot along with the cat on their back. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really dogs just would never you'd never see in the back of a horse. No, uh, but cats do. So um, that's another aspect of reincarnation identity um, humbly asks for people to be curious about and see if it will self-verify for them too. So back to our, our main track here, um, this whole idea of, um, and we just picked some holes in um, a, a millennia long tradition in Hinduism and Buddhism about reincarnation. We've clarified identity's position on, which of course we don't want you to believe in, just have a laugh about or consider and have some curiosity about it. Uh, and there's, there's so many rational, uh, critical thinking kind of holes that come into it. But if we switch over to empirical science now, um, we can't talk about incarnation. Um, and this is what I wanted to go to until you so rudely and wonderfully interrupted my flow. <laughs> um, that, uh, that um, you've got to, you, what is it that reincarnates? Yeah is a fundamental metaphysical question. And you asked that question earlier. So I'd like to go to the empirical route now. And of course the empirical route is that some unknown mechanism um, of neural networks uh, in, the, in, the, in the neurons of the brain, the central nervous system, um, somehow that, that net of all the neurons working together mysteriously creates consciousness. That's, that's the best they can do. Um, there's, no, there's no empirical proof of it. It's a theory, but most of the atheistic scientists that I've come across and read about, they don't treat it as a theory. It's just a damn fact. And that's it. That's it. That's it. Because they have no, they have no um, uh, a curiosity about how there are different dimensions of reality that are beyond the six senses of human beings. Um, uh, of five senses. Uh, six is, the, is, the, is, uh, is thinking. Um, uh, thinking is our, we say there's six senses. And so each of these algorithms are, of our six senses um, splices and, and dices reality according to um, the particular sensate involved. Uh, you can distinguish between smelling a rose and smelling some uh, uh, pig shit uh, for sure. Um, but that, that it's based on a this or that exclusionary, this can't be that, pig shit will not smell like um, uh, roses. So uh, it slices and dices reality, and there are dimensions of reality that are not sliceable and diceable by our six senses. And so if they're not sliceable and diceable by our six senses, they are held to be non-existent. 
right? But those people with third eye uh, gifts uh, see spirits all the time, see entities all the time. Um, uh, uh, like myself, uh, will see things happen years and years before they happen. Um, and so uh, this whole idea of empirical science being the new religion, um, where back in the 60s and 70s, the, the strides in biochemistry and um, uh, and uh, neurobiology, God is dead, you know. And then we had Jean-Paul Sartre and a, a whole host of nihilists uh, um, that um, came in from uh, philosophy. Uh, and so that combination makes it no curiosity around the dimensions of consciousness that are not experienceable by the six senses. Uh, no amount of thinking uh, will ever prove God to you. No, no telescope or microscope is going to show you the infinite. Um, we can only posit those things in our mental body. So uh, what happened for me, that, that con the complexity of human consciousness comes out of non-self-aware neurons is no less hilarious to me as um, an impersonal um, god, uh, a deity that's not a deity, <laughs> having a, a system that sorts out dualistic distinctionability. That's really uh, funny to juxtapose those two. Yeah, because science uh, would hold their model as so much more sophisticated than uh, I, the other. I find it, I find the, who, the, 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 the Hinduist one, the Hinduism one, a little more credible yeah. for the time. Uh, uh, they were trying to include, it was a more inclusivation uh, type of picture Whereas modern neurobiology uh, is uh, exclusivation. Well, it's holism versus reductionism. Yes, holism, nicely put, yes. Yeah. So a greater thing uh, it cannot come out of a, 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 a deeper, more real thing can't come out, can't come out of a lesser, less real thing. Mm -hmm. um, so the complexity of human consciousness, even if you link together all the nodes of the millions or billions of neurons we have in their interchanges, that doesn't mysteriously give rise uh, to uh, consciousness, human consciousness. Saying, saying human consciousness comes out of uh, the neural net is like uh, saying the origin of water is soil. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 wait, soil and water are related um, in, 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 you know, in, intimately, but to say Water is created by soil has this it has the same metaphoric consonance with saying um, human consciousness comes out of brain uh, gray matter. So this kind of critical thinking, uh, which should be applied in modern neuroscience, just isn't. Um, but those folks that that are they're honest to their paradigm. They can't. I would just love to hear some nihilistic um, empirical consciousness arises out of brain matter. To just once say, you know, I can't experience anything else to it. And that's the only explanation that makes sense to me. But I could be wrong. Maybe there's some things I just don't know or, or have not revealed to me yet or to reveal to science. That that I can admire uh, and respect. But how often do you hear that? I have, I have a t what may be a tough question for you. One of the things I like to ask doctors when I meet them is mm -hmm. you take two bodies and one's alive and one's dead. And in mm -hmm. the dead body, everything's working. There's no clogged arteries. There's no hemorrhages. There's nothing's broken. It, everything works. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between the living body and the dead body? <laughs> 
Well, that's a clever question. And a clever answer would be, well, about 21 grams. Of, <laughs> uh, which, the you mass know, that, of the soul. Right, exactly. That was what deduced back in the 70s. That came out 21 grams of, there's a difference in weight at the moment of death. They, they, we lose 21 grams, supposedly. I never did it myself, but mm -hmm. I trust that some enough sober scientists uh, showed that to be mostly true. So um, identity, though, that's too slim uh, a, um, a piece of evidence to base a whole paradigm on. Uh, identity is about how would you like to not only have soul verified for you, how about God verified for you with no beliefs intended? And like Meister Eckhart says, as you said so often, um, uh, uh, that beliefs in God obstruct the actual experience of God. And if that were simply taken taken to heart by the Pope, um, of course, he'd have to start selling all the billions of dollars of art treasures and gold and jewels that the Pope has. And, well, uh, King, what's his name now in England would uh, have to Depending sell. Depending on whether Jesus owned jewels. his clothes or not, right? Oh, yes. We can't, we can't, we can't forget that one, of course. <laughs> So um, for, for me, for identity, um, uh, it's just as nonsensical to um, say that uh, uh, consciousness is caused by um, a brain, brain cellular activity as it is for Hindus to say there's a, there's a karmic um, distinction ability in an impersonal whatever uh, that our, our souls are part of and finally go back to in the drop, as the drop of the ocean. So they're both in, in, uh, untenable for me, and I, I hold modern empir empirical neurobiology more a task because they've got more IQs going and should have more critical thinking going, but they don't. Um, so I hold them a little more responsible. So what would be your answer to that question, the living versus dead body? Oh, um, uh, well, um, the, the soul has, has, has left one and it's still active in the other is all I could say. Yeah. And, uh, and then what, what doctors typically say this, they start with, well, there's no heart activity. There's no brain activity in one. I say, yeah, but why, why is that not happening? Yes. The cells in a newly deceased person are just as alive for a long time mm -hmm. before uh, they deadify, mm -hmm. um, uh, fingernails keep growing yeah. and all this. Um, so yeah, that's a great question to ask them, uh, because the state of the, of the cellular is the same in a living person and a dead person at the moment of death or 10 minutes after even. The heart's not beating, but why isn't the heart beating? Yeah. Uh, why is it, well, well, there's, there's still, they can still measure neural activity after mm -hmm. death, but not for very long. Um, mm -hmm. So that's sort of like question. when you turn your TV off, the LED light is still on yeah. for a yeah. minute or two, <laughs> power drains from the system. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So uh, reincarnation, now that we've sort of um, uh, split some wonderful hairs here, um, identity offers that um, we, the uh, brain doesn't cause consciousness, it's mediated by soul consciousness. There's one step more meta, more essential to human consciousness as in, in a physical expression, um, and that is the soul consciousness uh, media is mediated through the precipitate of the body mind. Um, in other words, we've talked before how uh, the, the soul is not a ghost in the machine like Descartes uh, held at the same time he held that we think we therefore we are, or he still held that the ghost in the machine was uh, sourced by him too. Uh, there's no ghost in the machine. The machine is in the ghost. Uh, and this can be self-verified. Uh, 
there's a soul field within which the physical body precipitates. And when you've got good third eye access, you can see this in real time. You can see it. Uh, mystics sometimes call it the aura, the soul field. It's the, the colors around the head and the shoulders. But um, someone who's really got um, uh, all, all throttles going on third eye can see a whole soul field with a whole lot of history embedded in it, holoarchally. Holo, um, That's how I do soul reads. I, uh, the soul is a holoarchal structure. Um, uh, within a, big, a bigger holoarchal structure of divinity. And that holoarchal structure, structure has information. Um, and here the, the law of conservation of energy applies exactly. When we die, um, uh, the energy of our soul eye is not lost. It, um, it just doesn't, is no longer needing to precipitate as um, uh, flesh, blood, and bone. So the brain certainly mediates consciousness. If you cut off someone's head, their soul is going to um, drop the body. And this is a, a good way to say it. Instead of dying in the normal ways, identity offers, the soul drops the body. It leaves behind um, what it can't take to the next dimensional um, uh, acreage of our, of our soulfulness and our divinity. So um, in that sense, uh, certainly the brain and central nervous system mediates consciousness, but it doesn't create consciousness. Uh, and this can be self-verified because um, identity offers uh, the personhood dharma, which eventually allows you to shake hands with, um, we color code, uh, Brie has color coded person, personhood, the gold aspect of being is our soul eye uh, at work, and uh, the green aspect of, um, of, of consciousness is our resistances and wound-based shadow is running the show. So the gold, the color-coded gold and green. It also occurs to me that in sagehood, uh, in the moments of Satori, when we're uh, experiences having us and we're consciousness without registration of experience, yes. then that's uh, existence without mental mediation. That's consciousness without mental mediation when that's happening, Her right? Oh, nicely put. I, I would never have thought to... Um, put those two together, but yes, they're exactly, it's exactly right. You could say um, there's still mental mediation, but um, it's suspended or not registering. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you would die in Satori like Krishnamurti did uh, uh, in his last lifetime uh, before Krishnamurti. He died in the moment, had a heart attack in the moment of Satori. Whoa. Uh, and he um, and right away, and when that happens, this is really interesting. I've never read this in esoteric literature, but my picture and my realization one day was that when you die, heart attack in his case, um, in the prior life before J, this is Jiddu Krishnamurti. Yeah. Um, uh, when you die in the moment of Satori, you go straight into another body without um, a debrief, without a um, uh, a, a choice mechanism. It sort of just goes arbitrarily. It's, it's shaped by other, other algorithms that we have no control over differently than in between lifetimes when we as souls choose our parents and choose the issues we want to work on. So in that sense, um, uh, the moment of Satori uh, is a non-mental body or, or brain body um, uh, registration of mediation, but it still associates it's just not associated as deeply in degree because what happens in Satori, of course, in identity, as Joseph knows very well too, is um, identity's picture is that we're really not experiencing 
uh, uh, the moments before our original soul birth way back when in the day. Uh, that's Satori. That's how Satori, the non-duality, which we call pre-duality in, in, in um, identity, you know, the moments before your soul gained its self-awareness, birthed its way out of yin divinity. So there's the merging for the first time metaphysically. Um, just because it merges metaphysically doesn't mean it's absolutely true. It's just identity's offering till a better picture comes along that's resonant. That uh, here's where the uh, personal God and non-duality completely merge. Oh, okay, well, hold thing. on a second. I, um, so you're saying that enlightenment or the moment of Satori and and then the preceding uh, postceding enlightenment is a reconnection with your preconditioned soul consciousness. So it's individuated but not conditioned. Yes. Whoa. Rather than, rather than the Zen picture, the Buddhistic picture that it um, connects you to the non-dual and frees you from the illusion of individualized self, which was conditioned by the cathection of experience. Wow, right? I never got that difference, yeah, that it's, depth before. Satori, all these centuries have been nothing more nothing more than uh, the, the not experience of our preconditioned state, the moments before we were birthed out of yin divinity, out of the womb of yin divinity. Which can be experienced at the level of soul, but not at the level of, in, uh, of personality, because it's pre-personal. Yes. It's pre-personal, pre-dual, pre pre-personal in a in a structural way, not yeah. in an emotionally mature way, not in a yeah. not, not in an essential way. Right, yeah. Exactly right. So uh, that's why your question was so right on, because technically, it's not registered uh, to the the um, the brain's awareness algorithms, uh, because it's embedded prior to actual soul self awareness, and in that way. Um, all this time, uh, here's a here's a picture that says to all of you out there that have been taught both east and west that a personal god and and non dual non duality can't go together. Sorry, they can. They have always gone together, and our evolution as a species has only gotten it on is being offered now. Uh, the how that's always been the case. Hmm. So it's like I always think of when I think when I picture it in a metaphor, Joseph, I think I've said this before in our private conversations, the white um, mist of of pre-dual yin divine wombic bandwidth clings to the roots of our soul, our soul roots, it clings to the roots of it. And so when we Satori is simply those that that white pre-duality clinging to our soul roots that which is not experienced to to then downline like dominoes completely loses slavery to dualism in our conditioned self um we don't go we don't become non-dual um we simply are we're no longer slave to duality and and not not a lot of zen masters will will actually talk about this they just live as if they are pre-dual or non-dualized all the time and never go into the finer metaphysics. Uh, there are all sorts of personal things that persist in enlightened masters. Yeah, and preferences. The, yeah, where where's the preference? Desires. That from? 
well, yeah, da-da-da, uh, free, 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 John, 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 and all of his other uh, names uh, had his circle of seven women that he preferred. And, you know, they constantly changed as new women wanted to get his, um, his, uh, his uh, what is it called, Shakti. Um, mm -hmm. And so these vagaries and personal preferences do not go away. They just are not to be questioned in these traditions because an enlightened person is beyond morality strictures of us mere mortals who are not uh, enlightened. Mm. So, but we can we can map what happens in Satori in an entirely different way that makes a personal God and non-duality completely resonant uh, in a bigger soul picture. Because Zen has to chalk up any personal idiosyncrasies, preferences, differences as well, that's just what's arising in that moment. It's not yes. any inherent essential part of the being. Yes, it's a it's a it's a gaseous mix mist that arises and dissipates. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't call them an arising and dissipative mist the same level of real as a brick. Um, yeah. So uh, that's that's the basis metaphysically. If you were if they were forced to examine and be curious about their metaphysics and put some words to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, a, a big sign of enlightenment is that uh, you don't put uh, words to it anymore to describe it. And anyone that does isn't really fully enlightened. Mm. Uh, there's, there's an interesting guy, uh, uh, a good friend of Jeff Bridges, uh, who lives here in the same town as I do. Uh, he's got a really good friend who's a Zen master. And uh, his teaching is that uh, if, if um, your Zen enlightenment can't be put into the form uh, into word forms that a peasant farmer can understand. You're not really enlightened, uh, and so that sounds like quite a strong position for an enlightened uh, master. <laughs> yes, where you're not supposed to have any attachments to positions. Um, uh, you can have preferences, but not positions. And this guy talks as if it's a real position. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the point being here that identity offers an entirely different consciousness architecture uh, to human consciousness, um, that it is a precipitate, the human body is a precipitate uh, within the supersaturated solution of soul. If you want to put it in chemistry terms, and I know you know how to put it in chemistry terms. Yeah, I love uh, that metaphor. Uh, it's a precipitate in the supersaturated uh, liquid soul, um, and and when when you when it's time to go, the soul drops the body and leaves it behind because it can't go to dimensions that were the dimensions that don't support flesh, blood, and bone density, uh, but are just as real domains of consciousness as this one, as anyone who's had a near death experience will tell you. So um, the point being, there's our, I wanted to make sure we got today to the cornerstone of the reincarnative arc. First have to talk about what, what's reincarnating, what's yeah. reincarnating. We just define what's reincarnating. So now we can go on to how does reincarnation actually work according to identity, different than how it's been taught all these centuries. Well, since there is a God, <laughs> a self-aware God that unfolded into you and me way, way down line as uh, fractals of it, um, we, uh, we pre, our consciousness pre-exists birth and post-exists post -exists death. And the choice mechanisms involved are all still um, uh, pertinent. Um, we choose our next parents. We choose 
after after death, uh, we go through a or liberation phase, of course, uh, at first, uh, like, oh, my God, how could I have been so silly to be so small? Uh, and yeah. how, how why why did I forget how amazing this is where everything is love and love is everything and the connectivity and connection and uh, and and brotherhood and sisterhood are a de facto reality that you experience instead of just and, uh, aim for. And a version of that happens in awakening, right? Yes. Which is processing some of the fear of death stuff. That's exactly right. Um, And so in that sense, um, what gets reincarnated is the individual, the eternally individuated soul. And I love that word individual individual oh indivisible Uh indivisible Mm -hmm. it's a non-divided two-ness individual oh there's Uh, dual in there i never got that at the end is Uh d-u-a-l so it's undivided duality and that is exactly what it describes the soul for identity uh uh, uh, a non-divided two-ness where there is self-awareness here's another way of, of, of focusing on that Animals are self-aware. We've talked about this in another podcast. Human beings are aware they are self-aware, unlike animals. And souls are aware that they're self-aware that they're self-aware. There's another whole dimension of self-awareness that includes, uh, um, uh, 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 what's the word, Um, uh, accretions of reality and bandwidths of reality that that, um, simple awareness of self-awareness can't can't include until you're free of the mediating uh, central nervous system. So, so these co-optations of reality. Zen, of course, can't allow there to be an essential undivided duality. All duality Correct. has to be Illusory. D- dissolved into, yeah, dissolved into yes. non-duality. Exactly. And that, of course, that sect, uh, uh, which, is, which is best articulated for me in the Papaji Gangaji um, uh, lineage, is that the moment of death, um, everything goes black. Uh, there's nothing that's reincarnated. There's no such thing as reincarnation in the pure lineages of many Zen's. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, um, so the way reincarnation works then is um, we've, we have this initial um, wonderfulness expansion uh, that can, can, there's, there's no time there. There's a, there's a, um, a channeled entity called Bashar or Bashar uh, that's out there that says um, rightly that uh, from God's point of view, there's only one moment and only our one perspective creates time. And I love that. Uh, here's an incarnated person, not a channeled one, that uh, whose uh, paradigm identity uh, re- reflects that um, metaphysically and practically. So in that sense, um, uh, when we, uh, after we go through a certain amount of experience of liberation and remembering and why, remembering why we were taught to forget or conditioned to forget. So we start every life as if its own, it's its own entity, because in one level of the holoarchy, it is. But at another level of the holoarchy, it's not. So we, we, people say, why don't we remember? Well, you can. You just have to open up, learn to open up third eye, and then you can remember past lives and in between lifetimes, like high school, uh, which I can do mostly. Um, and so, and I, that's not a, that's not a, a, an ego thing. It's just, it's like breathing for me. It's just the way I was born. Can't take credit for it, except I was born that way. And so in that sense, uh, you go through that liberation and connected phrase and, and on all that. And then that's 
quote unquote heaven. There's no place called heaven. There's no place called hell. Heaven is a state of consciousness of liberation from the defined flesh, blood, and bone limitations. Then you start, um, you get to sit, go into the, uh, the theater where you get to see and go through moments of life where you were unconsciously um, cruel to yourself and others. And you have to go through that hell to learn because you, you go through that hell so as to be informed, okay, in that circumstance, and that um, way, uh, that age and that circumstance and with that gender that I had, I chose badly. I chose badly. This is where um, we reference the film Defending Your Life. Yes, exactly right. Oh, it's so wonderful. Uh, it doesn't go into the metaphysics very well, but it gives a really sweet picture. <laughs> it's of a it nice depending. picture, but, yeah. Yeah, it does. So, so you, you go through hell, which is just another fa uh, phase of after-death experience, where you go through what did what didn't align with your A destiny that you set up ahead of time. And uh, you uh, the, those get stored in your soul field uh, in the Akashika. Uh, and those are then referenceable when you choose next lifetime, you, your parents, um, to bring up what you keep stumbling over lifetime over lifetime. Okay, this next life, I'm going to aggregate all those moments in 10 lifetimes exactly in these this one domain and make that for sure something I'm going to heal this next life. And this is where so, we get the idea of judgment day. Yes. Yes, Judgment Day is simply a projection that God up there um, is uh, up the, the hairy thunderer in the sky uh, with some sort of Thor hammer is going to slam Did you say down. Hairy thunderer? Yeah, hairy thunderer. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the picture I always got. That Christianity tried to shove down my uh, recalcitrant throat. Um, uh, there's no hairy thunderer in the sky. Uh, uh, divine being, there's no, there's no punitivity anywhere in its system except the human beings' cultures that we're, where we create punitivity. So it's a projection of our own conscientiousness where we want to evaluate with self-love, I presume, from the soul level yes. where we yes. uh, did uh, well and where we didn't do so well in that life. Yes, absolutely. And in that, in that way, um, uh, can you imagine a non-punitive, love-only divine being that produced, unfolded your soul way back in the day, whenever that was, millions or billions of years ago, um, uh, uh, saying or having a system where uh, that God of love says you get one chance to heal everything <laughs> or you go to hell for eternity. Yeah. In other words, you screw up badly, mortal sin-wise, in my old Catholic um, conditioning. One mortal sin that you don't have remorse for at the time of death um, is uh, it will send you to hell for eternity. For eternity. Yeah, yeah, it paints God as quite a poor manager. You know, there's no room uh, for error. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's you know, Judaism and, and conservative uh, Christianity. It's a. It's not a loving God. It's a judgmental God. Uh, and you better fear it, uh, mm -hmm. especially in conservative um, uh, uh, sects of uh, Christianity and Judaism. It's fear of God that gets you into heaven, not love that gets you into heaven. Um, you better fear it or else you will go to hell for eternity for the mistakes you make in one lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, in, I'm in my 471st lifetime uh, this, uh, uh, in this epic, 
And I can tell you that um, I needed every one of those 471 to, to be Stace Barron offering identity. I needed that that many times around the block uh, to be able to sense uh, what my soul has been telling me all those years, all those lifetimes, but now only comes to fruition because I wanted to heal my hell aspects that I learned after each lifetime. Insatiable, as they say. Uh, someone said that once. <laughs> Not long so in, in that sense, uh, can you imagine um, in Hinduism's reincarnational model, there's no God, but you have an eternity of chances to finally lose all of your attachments to personality, personality right? And on the, on the modern Christian side, the West side, you've got one lifetime to get it all right or you go consciously into conscious suffering for eternity, not blanked out disappearance like there is the drop in the ocean, but actual suffering. And then, of course, Catholicism has had to um, uh, turn itself into a pretzel when somebody, when one lifetime, way long time ago, said, what about children who are born and die their first three weeks of life. What happens to them? They didn't do anything bad. Can mm. they, do they go to heaven? Well, then they had to put in um, a little thing. Well, um, uh, uh, young babies go into some place called limbo. And Purgatory, God, right? Pur no, no, limbo. Oh. Purgatory is for sinners. Oh, Who have right. sinner sins just bad enough to need some rehab. So that's, uh, that's like the minimum security prison. Exactly right. Um, only you've got to go to re. You got to go. You have to. Um, yeah. See what you the did. Rehabilitation facility, not the life right. and max security. Correct. Program. And that way you can have a future moment where you're allowed into heaven when you are purged of your in those days venial sins. Right. Uh, but if you have a mortal sin, that can't be purged. Um, that's a. And, but unless you at the last the moment before you die. You confess to a priest or to yourself or to God, I am so sorry for that sin um, or that series of sins. If you do that, you can go to heaven. You, you've got to be forgiven, though, which, which involves remorse. But in, even in those cases, so somebody once asked uh, in, 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 the, in my Catholic um, uh, upbringing, uh, well, what happens if you're in a coma and you die inside the coma? Uh, does, does your mortal sin follow you? No, no. The Catholics will say, well, if there's a priest there, they have this whole ritual called, wait for it, extreme unction. I don't know what they call it these days, but extreme unction, where if a person is unconscious, the priest will step in and say, I, in the name of Jesus and God, I will forgive you your mortal sins, and then they can go to heaven. If there happens to be a priest in the coma, in the hospital room, or at home, in the moment you die in a coma. So that, so wow, <laughs> wow! I love, I love going into the metaphysics of mainstream religion better than they do. I love that. It's so interesting. So that means, yeah. in that case, that the priest, yes, has the power to yes. influence the yes. post-life destiny path of that soul. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. Even if that priest is an unrepentant pedophile. Think about that for a moment. Uh, right. Just the system would allow as long as he feels bad about it in some way, he's still got the juice uh, to extreme unctionalize this comatose mortal sinner. Yeah, I would uh, so want to know what would, other powers the priest has to direct uh, people's souls in that way. That well, way. the uh, exorcism. You know, sure, the right. Of, yeah, the body of Christ compels you, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, 
with that whole exorcist thing back in the 70s, um, the, the, there was straight down the line Catholic uh, um, uh, uh, formatted. It was perfect. Um, but there are, oh, we haven't talked about demons and stuff, of course. Um, there's That's another a little different topic, but resonant with reincarnation. But I want to complete the reincarnation. Yeah, so I'm interrupting so, a lot today, I know. No, that's good. It's okay. This is a juicy topic, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's taken our 30 podcasts to get to it. Uh, yes. We've referenced it a bunch of times. Yeah. But uh, the whole story here, look, look at East and West. I wanted to finish that thought that on the one side, a God, a self-aware God, gives you only one chance, one lifetime to uh, maximize your wah after death. And uh, the Eastern version says there is no self-aware God and no self-aware you, and only the garbagey, dualistically tainted version of you keeps reincarnated until it gets whittled down over the centuries uh, to nothingness, literally whittled down to nothing. Um, so, the Eastern way has some positives that they're, they're, they articulated some ancient uh, incomplete way to enlightenment. Uh, the Western religions have uh, a God, but is completely their God. The hairy thunderer is a complete projection of human foibles, jealousy, anger, judgment, revenge, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, pet, 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 uh, uh, pet um, races. Uh, that, that God has the, the Jews are a pet race. Oh yeah. Um, the, the, that, 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 that favored among all others, such that all others, such that they will smite the enemies of the Jews. I mean, mm -hmm. the God of the Old Testament is is one hundred percent projection of patriarchal um, uh, 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 um, society. Well, and in, in Islam, that was on the Muslim side. God was on the Muslim side, and if for the uh, settlers of the United States, manifest destiny. God was on the colonist yes. side. So everybody exactly. thinks that they're in the favorite group of God. <laughs> it's so funny that, because in these monotheistic religions, it's so interesting. Like, there's one God, and He is on our side. Yes. So we're all sons and daughters of God, but he's on our side. Like, how could that be? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it's like it's like when uh, two high school teams, uh, uh, two Catholic high school, high school teams, uh, football teams pray for the defeat, pray to God to defeat the other while the other team is praying exactly the same thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, and so who's who's going to get it? Are there less mortal sinners on, on the team of uh, uh, of one team and then the other. How does God decide that stuff? Come on now, if you're going to posit that kind of God, you've got to have answers for these kinds of questions. Yeah, yeah. This is there's no faith allowed here. You you can have faith, faith is in one way is is pure in the sense of I believe in something I don't experience it. Okay, that's fine. That's for youngsters of souls, young souls. That's fine. Uh, but one day, you after you re realize that faith turns into trust, that there is a God, not just faith in a God, because faith always has a fear in it of hoping that it's true, whereas trust knows, has experienced it's true, that there is a God of love and support. So in that sense, as we said in another um, uh, podcast, divine being does not stop evil in the world because that's our job to stop it. But instead, it supports good, and the good always wins eventually. And it took, you know, many millions of people to die in the Holocaust uh, uh, um, for Hitler to finally fall. But 
he fell. Uh, the now the modern day MAGA QAnonites uh, um, are absolutely uh, convinced that um, uh, Trump will get reelected and a thousand years of peace will come to the planet afterward. This was uh, just revealed in some emails that were found with the Oath Keepers. Uh, with oh dear. The, uh, yeah. So um, it's just crazy that our team, uh, our team has the right answer and all the other teams have the wrong answer. Um, this is just, it's just our tribe. Uh, all religions are tribes vying for the real truth. Uh, identity is happy to say no beliefs allowed, so it's not a religion. It could never be a religion. It's a philosophy, a spiritual philosophy that says, come in and test the water yourself. If you don't like it, stay where you are. It's okay. Don't believe any of this stuff. Go stay true to your heart. And by the way, an integrous person has curiosity about their truths. Without that, you have no critical thinking and you get stuck like a QAnonite. Um, so in this sense, we're proud. Someone asked me if we were religion years ago, uh, at, and I said, well, no, we're a spiritual philosophy that demands high standards for consciousness maturation. Uh, and you don't have to agree with them, but there they are. Have at it if you like, don't if you don't. So it could never be a religion which requires um, it doesn't, our identity is never uh, missionated, uh, never tried to find uh, and seek and convert. Uh, that's completely against this independent human spirit. And it will never, it will never try to keep people uh, in, in it because there is no it. it. Identity is an internalized, individuated kind of a, a journey. And there's no um, organization that um, will uh, 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 tell you what to do or how to do it. It'll just suggest our facilitators and our educators will suggest certain things. And if it speaks to you, let's play it out as long as it plays out. If it, and if it plays out to end and you're, you think you've gotten everything from identity that you wanted, that's cool too. So there's no, there's no tribe, tribe of called Eden, Edenism. Uh, there, are no, there are Edenists, but they're not a tribe because they're never in one, one place long enough to call them to set up a lodge. Uh, <laughs> They're, they're changing every day in the transmutation. Because it's a verb, not yeah. a noun. It's a verb, not a noun, right. So in that sense, so we've covered most of the bases of, um, of, uh, of identity's picture of, of um, uh, reincarnation. And uh, most people on the planet, I've not met anyone who's had more than 471 uh, lifetimes. I, I would love to meet one. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. Uh, I just haven't met any. Most people have from one to 471 until, until shown otherwise, uh, just in my experience, um, uh, 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 lifetimes here. And uh, you'll remember when you die now, if you become an Edenist, uh, fo uh, not follower, but an Edenist explorer, um, that's a good way I wanted to put it, I wanted to say here at the end today, is that we're not, uh, you're, you're not a member, you're not a follower, you're an explorer. And uh, when you die this lifetime, if you take identity for a quite a, a deep dive, you will you'll be astounded at how, oh my God, that's this what's true in the afterlife is finally being taught on planet Earth as a, as a thing to explore and prove to yourself. So you don't need to die to know all this stuff. That's what we talked about a bit last time. Identity will offer you what's what happens between lifetimes and after any one lifetime and before the next lifetime um, without having to die to find it out. 
You can self-verify this in your own embodied flesh, blood, and bone consciousness module that we call our human being. Um, and so it's contexted all of our actions, all of our uh, impulses, all of our hidden motives. They're all trackable uh, in one way or another in identity so that you don't have to go through such a hell in debriefing as you would prior to identity because you handle stuff here while you're alive and don't have to wait for next lifetime to do it. Mm. A good a good example, one, one um, real, real example of that is when, we, when identity is offered its opinion about helping someone who's dying of cancer, last point here, mm -hmm. um, our, the issue is not to heal the person of the cancer so that the person lives longer. Mm. The goal is to heal the cause of the cancer so it's not carried over to the next life. Mm. That is our goal. If it happens as a side effect that the person lives a few years longer, that's great. But all of my work with dying people is about trying to ensure that the cancer would cause the cancer, the soulful con condensation and contraction that was at the root cause of that, of that particular cancer doesn't follow you to the next life. And when it does, that's when you see children um, get cancer, as we've said in another podcast, the, uh, the unbelievable unfairness, it seems that children um, uh, get cancer before the age of 10 or 12 or something. These are noble souls who want to get get it done sooner than later. And by it's their cancer follow them from the following life. And they want it to come up sooner than later. And you will always see in pediatric oncology, you will always see these noble souls, children. Mm -hmm. They don't resist. They're scared, but they're not. They don't resist death like human beings because they don't have a lifetime of stored dualistic yeah. memories that they're overattached to. And so they, they can process the, uh, the, the dying by cancer much more gracefully. Yeah. And that's a big step. Uh, they still have to work out the emotions in another life, but they've worked out the energy of it by getting cancer as a child. And what a different frame for the parents and any other adults, to, you know, mm -hmm. rather than seeing it as a tragedy, mm -hmm. to, to see it as a nobility. You know, I mean, of course, it doesn't feel good. And of course, you're going to want no. your kid to live a full life. But of course, um, to of have course. a spiritual context that like maybe that wasn't the soul's plan, you know, yeah. outside of the Western medicine, living really long is good and dying not really, really soon is bad, which is totally mm -hmm. arbitrary. Yeah, that tragedy, there's a deeper metaphysical dimension to it. And that is we are all trained to come from lack. Yeah, from lack. I oh God, I'm not going to have this child. I wanted to. I want this to live. I want to watch them get married and have kids and blah blah yeah. blah. That's all comes from lack. Wait, what's the other? What? Where is the glass half full? Look at the five or six or eight years I had with this amazing child. Am I going to mourn their loss? Of course. But you come from fullness, just as you just said. That that it changes. It can it has the power to change parents who are in this difficult situation. I wish I could work at uh, K Sloan Kettering or um, what's the other one that's always looking for money, reasonably so, uh, uh, St. Jude's Hospital. Mm -hmm. I wish uh, I, I could uh, work on the staff of a pediatric oncology unit and help parents and children pass uh, over like I've helped other people pass. Um, that would be some hope I, I can, that comes to me sometime this lifetime. So Because the parents 
projection onto the kid that they should have a longer life yes. that's got to wound the child yeah. you know absolutely it, do, it doesn't place. it doesn't accept the child's real wounding as real mm-hmm. and and so of course there's an and here you can help the child go son daughter you've got cancer you but doctors are saying you're not going to live very long but you know um i'm so grateful to know you and 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 i love you so much and 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 there's a whole way of approaching this where it doesn't shame the child for have unconsciously for having the 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 cancer in the first place because when the parents are all going crazy oh my god oh my god they register they're causing parents to suffer that's that's counter transference see that's counter transference. It should be the other way around. Yeah. Um, the parents should be supporting the child in their fear and their short life and what the positive aspects and mourn, of course, mourn. There's an and here, not an either or. Mm-hmm. But the child registers that they're causing the pain in the parents, whether the parents say so or not. Yeah, and I've seen this because what will happen is the the child with that soul nobility of having chosen to bring cancer in is in one way bigger than the parents yes who collapses into a mess and then the child uses that bigness and nobility to take care of the parent because they don't have the conditioning that they should live a long time like the parent does and now you now the parent is the child and they're gonna have to probably work that out next life because their life is too short to work it out as an adult exactly right and all that um excess tragedy stuff more than half the time, in my experience, I can say, and I could project that on to the, the whole, more than half the time, the parents are counter-transferring. Mm-hmm. They, are, they needed that child to fill in a hole in their life. And that's making an X factor of that child. Oh, if it started it's, out that way and then the child doesn't live a full life, now it's a problem for the parents. It, it, you know. Exactly. It's not that a, a parent who didn't didn't um, uh, um, uh, fill a hole in their life with a child, but the child just, you know, came in maybe, uh, uh, maybe in, uh, intentionally, maybe not, but they don't counter transfer and put all their emotional eggs in the basket of the child. How many women are self actualized, much less um, uh, self authenticated before they have children? Mothers, um, they, they, but a lot of times the first time they ever feel love is the love they feel for their child. Yeah. And then they, Overattach, counter-transfer their own emotional needs into the child, and then if the child is on a deathbed before the age of ten. They 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 uh, they go mentally and emotionally crazy. Yeah, because their ta- their drug is being taken away. Yeah, that's so, empty nest syndrome. You know, empty nest syndrome which wouldn't exist in an emotionally squared. mature parent. Exactly right. They would they would mourn, uh, but they wouldn't see it as a tragedy, mm-hmm. and that's the difference coming from fullness rather than lackness mm. so that's just a uh, uh, i wanted to put a real time uh, re- relatedness um, dynamic at the end of our reincarnation because that child is going to pass and that soul will stick around the family a long time soothing the parents when they can um, and uh, and same thing with aborted fetuses uh, many times abortion that soul will stay at it until they can become a child of that family it's the same soul trying over and over again so mm. there are things about abortion it's like a concussion to the soul mind or you could say but uh, they recover quickly and uh, they had a chance to stir the dna to make another child so they got some good practicing 
Mm. So it's not not suggested lightly, but it's not a tragedy beyond be- comprehension either. Mm. Abortion, another track we could talk about another yeah. time. Well, we've okay. been going for a while. We should Ooh. probably close. Uh, I've yes. got a few questions uh, about reincarnation that we did not get to, so it may make sense to spend a little bit more time on it next time. Oh, um, please keep them, Joseph. Yeah, uh, I've already written them down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's let's do um, part two next time and see yeah. where that may lead us with another rabbit hole that I'm yeah. sure yeah. Uh, your astuteness will pick up. Well, thank you. Thank you, Stace. I love this conversation. Thank you, listeners, for making it to episode 30, if you've been going in order. If not, I understand. Uh, And um, tune in next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.